Yeah, and as you're speaking and sharing that, I just kind of want to hug myself <laughs> and kind of provide some of that compassion and that comfort because it does. Maria Sosa has a master's degree in marriage and family therapy and is a respected relationship expert. Maria's insights have been featured in publications such as Forbes, Pop Sugar, Refinery29, Mind Body Green, and Well and Good, among others. Her social media presence under the handle at Holistically Grace serves as a valuable source of inspiration for individuals seeking growth and thriving relationships. Hosting the insightful Mind Meets Body podcast, Maria explores the often neglected emotional, mental, and spiritual aspects of health, providing a comprehensive perspective that extends beyond the conventional exercises and nutrition-centric approach. Originally from Venezuela, Maria now resides in Miami, where she offers relationship therapy services for both couples and individuals. So we're so excited to have Maria Sosa to the safe space. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Judith. Lovely to be here. And you are a therapist and you specialize in mind-body connection and relationships. And we have a lot of exciting tips to just jump right into. So I think we should just start and jump right into it. Let's do it. (laughs) A lot of people struggle with abandonment feelings and fears in relationships and anxieties that someone that they really love and deeply care about will leave them. In our work, we see that this can sometimes be related to early childhood experiences or even later in life relationships that really left us with unresolved emotional trauma. Mm -hmm. And I always put out content on anxious attachment and get request like, well, how do I deal with it? How do I heal? And it's really valuable to learn about things, but also people want to hear about potentially actionable tips that they can utilize in the moment when they're having these overwhelming fears. So let's start by talking about like, what is anxious attachment? How can we recognize it and how does it affect us? Yeah. So anxious attachment stems from attachment theory, which was developed by John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth. And so they talk about how our early relationships with our caregivers creates a sense of bond and it falls along a spectrum from insecure to secure. So we have insecure, anxious, insecure, avoidant, insecure, ambivalent. So kind of like a mixture of both of these. And then we have the secure attachment style. So the anxious component is when we had inconsistent caregiving and we didn't know whether we were going to be cared for, whether we were going to be loved. And so we had to develop kind of a coping strategy, which was, well, I have to seek it or I have to cling to it or I have to, how do I get this need met? I have to really seek it. I really have to make sure that I'm being comforted. And then on the other end of that is the avoidant attachment style, which is that we cope or we learn to deal with this by just not really having that need or suppressing that need for closeness or for intimate, vulnerable relationships. So those are kind of both ends of the spectrum. And when it comes to anxious attachment style, I'm sure we can offer some tips in terms of how to deal with that one. I mean, one of the biggest tips is knowing what you're dealing with, right? Right. And we used to think that people only had attachment issues in childhood. And we're learning now that our brains develop and continue to change during every stage. And even relationships that you had in your early adulthood can really shape who you are and how you love and how you respond to your environment. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about how we help our clients who have this fear of abandonment 
And how do they even identify what this fear really means? Yeah. So I think the first thing is to identify it. It's kind of that naming it to be able to tame it or work with it. And so kind of understanding it from this very observational stance. This is neither good nor bad. It is happening. And this is how it feels in my body. And this is what I'm observing. And these are the thoughts that are coming up. So I think that when we are aware of what's coming up for the mind and the body, then we can figure out what to do next with it. Visualization is really helpful. We see a lot about inner child work. And I just love that. I think it's so brilliant because when you think of inner child, you don't think, okay, this is me. I'm unlovable. Something's wrong with me. I'm not secure. I'm not confident. I wish I could be like that person. You think this is the remnant of a child who went through Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think of children, you don't think of blaming them. You don't think of it's their fault. They did something to warrant being unlovable. Mm -hmm. We think of them as being, they needed to be protected. They needed to be loved and nurtured and something must've happened where they weren't. And I love thinking about the inner child because with my clients, when they think about, okay, this inner child needs to learn how to feel secure again, then there's less self-blame, shame, and turning on yourself. So what are some of the techniques that you use with your clients to work through these abandonment fears? Yes, I love the inner child, but I'll just quickly mention that one of the things that I love is asking them to look for a picture of themselves when, you know, they were this age where they might have had a particular experience that they want to recall and where they want to look at this inner child and give that nurture to them or provide that sense of safety. So I love what you just shared. But another one that I like is externalization. So looking at that sense or that feeling of abandonment or that anxious attachment, not as existing as a part of us, but as something that exists outside of us. So we kind of take it out, we look at it, we're able to visualize it and see it. I had a client who actually called it the cloud because it brought all the sadness and, you know, we kind of gave it a name. And then we talked about the cloud as this external thing. And what do we do with the cloud when it comes in? And how do we, you know, grab an umbrella and make sure that we cover ourselves up should it start to rain? So it's really helpful to see it as something that is outside or external to ourselves. I love that. I love that cloud and I love the umbrella. (laughs) Yeah. Reminds me of that song by Rihanna. (laughs) Yes. Bring out the umbrella. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And breakups are something that sometimes trigger that feeling of abandonment, that fear of abandonment. And breakups, at least in my practice, that's one of the hardest things to help clients through. So let's talk about tools and tips that people can use to support themselves through breakups. Yeah. And I think why it's so hard is because grief is hard and we really want to stop feeling whatever it is that we're feeling, which is that pain and that loss, which we have to feel. So we can offer tools and tips and ultimately we just have to feel it through. We just have to kind of work our way through it. But one of the things that really comes up for my clients is this idea of failure and how we failed and how we've done something wrong. So I like thinking about relationship success in a very different way. So I like reframing this idea of failure and success and thinking about how, yes, the relationship ended. It is painful. We'll work through that. And is it possible, you know, kind of just introducing this idea of possibility? Is it possible 
that this is getting you closer to a relationship where you will get all your needs met, where it will be more in alignment? Is it possible that this end is getting you closer to a new beginning that will actually be more satisfying and for you? So I like reframing. I love that. And I love the fact that just because something is ending doesn't mean that's it. Things have different meanings depending on on how you look at it. It's like that parable of you give different people an object and they're all blindfolded and one person will describe one part of it, another person, and they all see it differently. They name a different object. They're unblinded and they see that it's the same thing. The same thing. Yeah. So if you look at the end of a relationship as really the beginning of something new, that's a wonderful reframe. One of the things I use with my clients, because breakups not only trigger the fear of abandonment, but also trigger that core belief, sometimes this negative core belief that they're unlovable. Mm -hmm. And one of the tools for self-love and self-compassion that really allows you to incorporate the senses is we'll use like a sweet smelling cream or Mm -hmm. a lotion. And then you just like, you tell yourself this mantra of, even though my heart is broken, I am worthy of love. I am not broken. And it's something that when you do touch yourself, it releases physiologically uh, the love hormone oxytocin. Mm. And by you touching yourself and being really compassionate with yourself, you are telling yourself on an unconscious level, a deeper level that you're lovable, that you're worthy. And it really sends that message both physiologically and psychologically. Yeah. And as you're speaking and sharing that, I just kind of want to hug myself (laughs) and (laughs) provide some of that compassion and that comfort because it does. And I don't think that we get enough touch, especially after we've gone through a breakthrough and we have been in constant connection with someone. And so it really does feel very detached or it does feel and trigger this sense of abandonment physically. It has happened. We have you know, kind of triggered that response. I recently visited a friend's family member in another country and we visited them in a nursing facility. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the nurses were touching the patients. And it reminded me of when I was in medical school and we learned about touch deprivation, how people can literally decline in their health if they're not touched. Babies can decline in their health. And it just, we never stop developing. So why even in adulthood, why would we think that we don't need touch, right? Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, we, we are talking about relationships and breakups and fears of abandonment. And we talked about the inner child. And a lot of these fears and these core beliefs stem from childhood experiences, negative childhood experiences. So let's talk about childhood trauma and some of the tools that you help people to really cultivate so that they could support themselves when when they're dealing with childhood trauma. Yeah. So one of the things, speaking of the mind-body connection, and we know that trauma is stored in the body. So definitely looking to incorporate some sort of healing that is body-based that allows for that somatic component to be integrated into the things that we are going through. So either through movement or I don't want to say yoga and sounds like woo-woo, but there is something about the body storing the trauma and being able to move through it. There was this documentary that I watched about this young woman who was struggling with an eating disorder. And she, I know that it's not related to relationships, but she was struggling with you know an eating disorder and she had been to therapy. She had worked through so many things. And it wasn't until she picked up a yoga practice and I was able to 
get into her body that she was able to move through her eating disorder, which just speaks again to this idea of the mind-body connection and how we need both of these things to heal and work through our traumas. And a lot of times when childhood trauma occurs, one of the things that we'll say is that first, let's make sure the child is safe, that they Mm -hmm. feel safe because Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how much therapy you do. If you're going back to an unsafe environment, that's out the window, right? Mm -hmm. So creating a sense of safety is first. And what are some of the ways that you encourage your clients, the patients you work with to create a safe space? Yeah. And that's funny because I was just thinking of like a physiological space, right? We use this word space as mental head space, but sometimes we actually need a physical sacred space for ourselves where there is a sense of safety, where we're able to control because in our childhood, we may not have been able to control much at all and we didn't feel safe. So when we are able to provide that for ourselves, which goes back into the reparenting that you spoke about, then we know. I am here. I am the adult now taking care of you. Here is the space. You can set that up for yourself, a corner, sacred space for you where you get to do meditations or a journal or grief the childhood that you had and be able to put that out and journal and put it into the world. So actually creating a physical space. The physical safety is very important. When I've worked in the past with victims of domestic violence, you could tell, give them all the confidence boosting therapy, the assertiveness training that you want. But if they're going home to their abuser, then they're not safe. So it's hard to practice those skills. So a sense of safety and creating your physical space to make you feel safe is so important. It just, it goes such a long way. One of the things that I use is, um, you know, mindfulness teaches us to really pay attention to our senses and clothing can make people feel safe. So if they're going out into the world and they're waking up in the morning and they're feeling really dysregulated, find that one chunky sweater. We all have that, you know, that we touch it and we feel comforted. It reminds us of a teddy bear or a blankie. Wear that sweater, bring it, pack it with your things, take it out with you. Because in medicine, we learn about transitional objects, you know, like these blankies, these pictures, but we can use that in adulthood. We can use textiles, textures that give us comfort and safety and use whatever we can to feel safe, even if we're not within our home. Oh, yeah. And it's funny that you say that because I was had a session today and one of my clients just said, so we're just big babies. Like, is that like what happened? <laughs> Pretty much. A lot of the things that kids need that we want to give to them are the same things that we need as adults. So yeah, we're just big babies walking around thinking that we are adults and we just need these very basic things. You know, my daughter the other day, I bumped into a bed and I, I was like, ow. And she came over, she goes, poor baby. And I'm like, you're so sweet. But it made me feel better, you know? <laughs> it did. Like, we just want to be acknowledged and seen and, you know, nurtured. That's just basic. Yeah. So anytime you're feeling loved, use that positive self-talk and say, you know, poor baby, or you're having a bad day. And that goes a long way because you're showing yourself grace. You're showing yourself compassion. And if something bad had happened to your friend and they made a mistake, you wouldn't say, oh, you idiot, what's wrong with you? You'd say, poor thing, how can Mm -hmm. I help you? So why are we so hard on ourselves? It's funny because I'm I'm sure somebody will be listening to this and be like, that sounds like a terrible idea. I would never speak to myself (laughs) that way. And they would just reject it because it sounds... uh, 
no, like I'm not going to be doing that. But I genuinely challenge <laughs> whoever's listening to try it because it feels a little weird at first. And then afterwards, it starts to feel kind of nice. It's like, oh, okay, I haven't heard this in a while. It's nice to hear it. So definitely try it. Even if it feels uncomfortable, it's just new. I recently did a shoot in LA and I met this wonderful makeup artist. She looked at the call sheet. She was like, Dr. Judith. And she looked at me, she goes, today I'm going to refer you as the beautiful goddess of love and light. And I was just like, what is going on here? By the end of the makeup session, I felt like the beautiful goddess of love and light. So words really matter. <laughs> they do. They do. I'm going to take that. I'm going to start calling myself that too. <laughs> I started calling myself. I came back to New York. I was like, the beautiful goddess of love and light is starting her day. I was like, okay, this is going a little too far. but <laughs> oh, I love it though. So I study high-functioning depression. It's not yet recognized, but really what I found in my research was that in my research studies, I was trying to find patients that fit into the DSM-5's criteria for major depressive disorder. But what ended up happening was in enrolling patients, some would have low appetite, feelings of guilt, feelings of hopelessness, low mood at times. But at the end of the day, they didn't meet criteria because they were very high functioning and they didn't really identify distress. And so there were all these people that didn't meet criteria and didn't fit nicely and neatly into this box. And there are people that walk around every day. Maybe they don't acknowledge how they feel. Maybe they don't acknowledge they're struggling, but it doesn't mean that there isn't something that is off that's wrong. And I always ask my guests, because a lot of them are high functioning, what was a time in your life when you were a rock star, you were killing it on the outside. People were like, wow, you're doing it all. You're so great. But you knew that you were struggling. And how did you get through that? Yeah. So this was right at the beginning, middle of the end of my marriage. And as a couples therapist, there was a lot of internal turmoil of how could this possibly be happening to me? It's my job. So there was a lot of shame attached to that. And I kept a lot of that very hidden. The people who knew me knew what was going on, but pretty much everybody. I was just doing the thing and I was showing up for work and I was working with clients who were going through the end of their marriage and dealing with depression and all of these things. And it just looked like I was fine, but internally there was a lot going on. It was a struggle and nobody knew. And again, this idea of high functioning and I would not have met criteria for depression, but there was definitely inner turmoil going on. And because I was so high functioning, it was so interesting. Like I wouldn't allow myself to be sad or kind of allow myself to rest. It was the opposite. I was like, get up, you're Mm going to go work out and you're going to do all the things and you're going to work through this. But if I just allowed myself to sit and to feel all the things that I was feeling, yeah, that there was definitely a lot going on. And we see that in the research that people who are high functioning, they sublimate, they work, work, work to distract Mm -hmm. from the feeling. And if they just sat still, then -hmm. they would feel the feels, you know, and then they could heal. Mm -hmm. So how did you get through that? Yeah, I think one, I was very humbling experience. Yeah, just because you're a couples therapist does not mean that you won't go through this or that you won't deal with exactly the same things that your clients are dealing with. You're not this superhuman. Do not put yourself up on a pedestal. So that was a very humbling experience to allow myself to be human and then to really really lean into my friendships. I don't think that I had ever really acknowledged the value of friendships. I think because when we 
kind of construct this idea of ourselves as wives or as being married, then that becomes the center of our lives and friendships take less of a priority. And then it wasn't until I realized that I had built everything around this marriage that I felt the need to really go back to my roots. And a lot of that was in my friendships and finding my sense of self. So friendship was so immensely important and a sense of community. Connection is so, so important. And yes, we let our identities get tied into our relationship, into our careers, and we lose ourselves. And these experiences really teach us what the meaning of life is and how to make life really purposeful and what's really important. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. You are just so wonderful. Please tell us where we can find you and tell us about your upcoming projects. Yeah, so you can find me on social media as Holistically Grace. That is my social media handle, website, everything is under Holistically Grace. And something that I'm working on next is that I'm launching a new newsletter, getting excited about that. And it's called Love Actually Actually. I don't know if you saw the <laughs> rom-com Love Actually. It's I love that movie. Time favorites. <laughs> but in that, it really created this idea of love, a very <laughs> an interesting concept for myself. So I really wanted to look at the idea of rom-coms or all the images and messages that we get about love and what love is supposed to look like and kind of look at those and is this really what love actually is? And so it's called Love Actually Actually, which takes a look at relationships, realistic relationships. And I'm really excited to be doing something a little creative and out of my comfort zone. Love it. Can't wait to read it. Thank you. Thank you so much for being in the safe space. And we look forward to that newsletter and learning more about love, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.